There's five quick points I want to make as we turn our attention to the afternoon for training and a little bit more development. Um, and here they are. If you went through next steps, you'll remember these. But it's a five-letter acronym that goes along with the word serve. And so as you grab these t-shirts today and as you wear these and as you live out your uh, leadership role on the serve team, here's what I want you to remember. A leader does five things. First, S. Leaders see the future. They see where we're going and how the mission calls us to respond in each of our ministries as far as reaching the next generation with the gospel. Next is E, leaders engage and develop others. We're constantly shoulder tapping and, and developing others to be the best that they can be in ministry. R stands for reinvent continuously. Leaders cannot help but evaluate. You're constantly asking, how can I be better? How can this ministry be more effective? How can we make the most profound kingdom impact that we can have? V stands for leaders value results and relationships. This is people and processes, and we need both of those things to be excellent in order to do what we do. And last, the second E is that leaders embody the values. And you do just that. When we talk about truth, not lies, and generosity, not greed, and rescue, not neglect, and together, not alone, and transform, not conform, as members of the serve team, you embody those values. So we love you. We're thankful that you're here today. We hope it's a benefit to you, not just in the church, but in your life as you go out from here. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Thanks again for being here. Well, Brian, Brian has been amazing to work with as well. I, I sure, certainly miss seeing him today. I know he's with family, so that's important. I mean, he needs to be where he's at today, but uh, look forward to getting to know him in person one day. Well, let me just say to our folks here today that serve, uh, you really are kind of the, the motor that, that runs the vehicle. Uh, I will tell you, as many years as a pastor, we depend on you, and you help us sleep well at night, knowing that you are serving with excellence, and what you're doing is making an impact. The reality is the New Testament view of Scripture, and uh, of the New Testament view, I should say, of the church, is not one man, or two men, or three people, or four people doing everything, right? So God has established a church through gifting people who come together to use those gifts for a gospel presentation and a God-glorifying edification where we glorify God, but we also edify one another and we extend our reach to our community. So that really is kind of the New Testament model for church. So you all are being obedient. I'm grateful for that. You understand your giftedness and just, just thank you for what, uh, what you're doing. I, I think it's important to make the connection from the message this morning in our service to this leadership time today because they do kind of go hand in hand. Um, churches who have a good culture of disciple making are never lacking leaders. They're not. The, the wrong way of doing things is, is, is begging people to do stuff or putting a sign-up sheet up and saying, would you please sign up to do this? That never ends well. Okay, and it's exhausting, and, and it, it makes us anxious as church leaders. If we have a culture of disciple-making in our church, we are forming leaders. We are building leaders. We are maturing leaders. So it's just really kind of leadership is an outflow of what we're already doing within the structure of the church. So a disciple-making church is never 
without leaders. It is the DNA of what we do. So you certainly have that here. It is very obvious to me when I look around to see how many folks are serving in any given week uh, that that is a very critical component of what you are doing. So let me just give you some, first of all, just some leadership encouragement. You all probably need some encouragement, right? I mean, if you're, if you're leading in any way, if you're serving in some way, you just need to be reminded that, that what you do is important, and it is important. Well, it's important to, to your pastors. It's important to uh, your, your church leaders. It's, but, but listen, it's important to God, and it matters to Him. No act of service goes unnoticed, none, not even one act of service. God sees it. God knows, and God will bless you for it. Now, how do I know that? Well, that's not just kind of, you know, pie in the sky thinking here. That's scriptural. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. By the way, there's an outline on your, on your table if you haven't figured that out yet. And if you're still eating, just go ahead and eat. And thanks for getting all the chicken salad before I got to the table, too. I just want to throw that in, okay? So wipe your mouth if you're eating chicken salad. And follow along on your outline there. And if you're still eating, keep eating, okay? But listen to what Hebrews 6, 9 through 12 says. It says, even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust he will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't become lazy but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. That's an important reminder. We are never more like Jesus than when we are serving other people. We embody Christ and who he, who he was and who he's commissioned us to be when we are serving others. Just a few things about Hebrews chapter 6 to encourage you as a leader and as a servant here in this church. First of all, he says things that are better and things that pertain to salvation. So what he means here is that our work for Jesus really is kind of this outflow and overflow of the things that pertain to salvation in us. Christ in us produces in full display through the Holy Spirit the ability to serve others through our leadership roles. Don't ever forget that. The things that you're doing, even if it seems like it's monotonous or minimal or whatever, it really does pertain, pertain to the things of salvation, according to the writer of Hebrews here. But also, I love what he says in verse 10, and I underlined it here, because it says, He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for His name by serving the saints. He will not forget it. He will not forget what you did this morning, whether you served in the nursery and changed a diaper, whether you handed a guest a bottle of water this morning, whether you held a door open, or maybe you worked on the PowerPoint presentation today. 
or sung on stage or put batteries in the speaker's microphone, whatever that is, God will not forget that. Don't ever lose sight of that. You say, oh, I don't know if what I do is important. It's so important. It is so remarkably important that God says, I'll never forget it. So keep serving and keep demonstrating that service. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 37 through 40. He says, um, or he says when, when the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So when we're serving those around us, we're in essence serving God. That's what Jesus says here. So don't forget, he will not forget. And when you serve, you're actually serving him. But also, God will not only reward you individually for what you do, but listen carefully, Liberty. God will reward you corporately for what you do. As we all use our gifts, as we all kind of do what we do, as all each part does its share, something incredible takes place. Paul talks about that, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, where he says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth. Don't miss that little nugget there. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So when we all do our share, when we're all joined and knit together by our service, and you all are just a well-oiled machine on Sundays. I've, been, I've stood back today and watched in utter amazement at how well and how excellent and how remarkable you do. As you do your share, Paul's promise here is this, it will cause growth of the body. Now, that doesn't just necessarily mean numerical growth. That means as we all do what we do, we're growing together. Isn't that cool? Like there's a kind of this corporate spiritual elevation taking place within the body of liberty as we're all just doing what we do. So you know what that means? When you serve in your area, you're encouraging this person here that's serving in their area. And when you're serving over there, you're encouraging this person that's serving over here and you don't even know it. But there's a spiritual corporate elevation that's taking place as each part does its share, Paul says. So the church is a called people, equipped for service, held together through their love for Christ and love for one another, effectively working together with each person, person doing its share. And when we do that, it causes growth. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Our love for one another is the body of Christ. And our service alongside one another also has an important function. And let me explain. It serves as an evangelistic apologetic to your community. Your community is watching this church. I don't know if you know that or not, but they are. Because this is a significant church in this community. And they're watching. 
And as you serve together in this really cool, uh, like harmonious way where you're just locking arms together and loving one another and, and, and serving as Christ has called you to serve, what you're telling this community is the type of love that Christ has given to us, we're giving away, and it's unique and different, and you need it. There is an apologetic of the gospel for churches who serve well. You are sending a message to your community. So don't grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So important. So that's some leadership encouragement. Be encouraged. Let me give you, though, some points for leadership development. All right? So, so how can we grow as a leader? Well, I think there are two solid truths that need to be mentioned as we just kind of begin this leadership section here. I'm watching my uh, clock because I want to be mindful of your time. By the way, you're in good shape here with the clock because I have two tickets and travel tower for Talladega race and the green drops at two. So you all are going to get out of here, all right, in a good time. Uh, and my wife's in Pell City right now at her parents' house waiting on me. I'm kind of a redneck, y'all. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? So I will keep my shirt on for the entire race. I just want you to know that, all right? And will not drink anything that doesn't involve Coke or water. So let's just make sure that we know that, all right? So just want to get that out of the way, all right? Two solid truths about us and how we're called to serve. So the first truth is this. God has gifted you and equipped you to lead and influence for Jesus and those around you. Everybody. Everyone who is saved is equipped to lead. Everybody. We need to talk about that more than we do, though, by the way. We're like every Sunday, we need to keep repeating that same thing, right? That a spiritual gift has been given to every person, not just like this elite, elect few, right? Every person. Every single person is gifted. But second, another truth is you have an enemy who will fight every day to make you disbelieve what I just said. Seriously. That's why the majority of people in our churches don't serve. They're convinced by the enemy they're not good enough, they're not equipped enough, they're not capable enough, they're not gifted enough, fill in the blank, whatever. They made a mistake back in 1988 that disqualified. I don't know what it is, but there's something. And as I talk to people and ask them about serving in leadership roles, normally I get some type of excuse, but really what it is, is the enemy is fooling them. So you just need to know that right on the front end. You can't listen to that voice. You know, listen, you are saved. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. The one who has saved you died for you. Service to him is never grueling, and service to him is expected, and service to him is a privilege, a complete and total privilege. You should never wake up on Sunday morning going, oh, great. Oh, you go, oh, great. I get to serve a living Savior today who walked down Calvary's for me. 
it's important we understand that today. Let me just say this too. You are not volunteers, you are leaders. That's important. Which means that you should own the role that God has given you here at Liberty. Own it. Own it. I don't even like the term volunteer. And, and why? So, so here's why you're not volunteers. Okay, so the very definition of the term volunteer is someone performing an act without being paid. Your service here is not without payment. I know what you're thinking. Yes, we're going to start getting paid. <laughs> well, your payment is something that's much more important than money. Scripture teaches us in Ephesians 6, 8, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do. Hebrews 6.10, he will not forget your work. Do well in your service because one day you will receive that payment. I don't know what all that looks like. In my mind, if I could just be in the presence of Jesus for a couple thousand years, it will be payment enough. But I have a feeling there's something more precious and more sweet and, and more just satisfying fulfilling than I, I can even possibly imagine. So payment's coming. I promise you that. Now, for those who say, well, I, God can't use me, or God can't use me to do more things, that's a theological statement that you just made. And it says a lot about your belief in God, frankly. I never have bought into that, that, that statement, God can't use me. That's a theological statement. So what you're saying is, the God that split the Red Sea all right, like can't use you. He can destroy an entire army, but he can't use you. It's not a good argument. That's a theological statement. God can use you. God will use you. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you just kind of four things here that's on your outline there. This is where you start filling in blanks, and there will be a quiz at the end. So that's not true, but uh, still I want you to fill in the blanks, all right? So there's some recurring themes here in Scripture, I think, uh, uh, in regards to leadership and what leadership should look like and, and how it should be done. So what I love is this. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Do you agree with that? I mean, completely, totally agree with that. I mean, the fact that I'm even standing here today leading this is quite remarkable, frankly, Okay. C student from Pleasant Grove, I mean, come on. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm the dumbest guy in the room almost everywhere I've been. I promise you that, okay? I guarantee you. And because Tim's here, I know that's true, all right? I know that's completely true. But, but God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. But there, there are some traits, though. So first of all, number one, your outline, effective leaders exist in Christ-like humility. They really do. I love this quote from Jonathan Edwards, nothing sets a man out of the devil's reach so much as humility. Here's been my experience. Great leaders are the most humble. Like great leaders sometimes don't even know they're great leaders. They just are. They're, 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 they're humble people. Of course, Numbers 12.3 says about Moses, now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. And Jesus also 
embodied that very, that very idea. In Mark 10, 43, Jesus says, whoever wants to be great among you must be servant of all. You know what I've noticed? Humility is kind of contagious. Humility encourages others. Uh, I've got some great examples of that in my own life. One of the most impactful and influential people in my life was a man that most people have never heard of. His, his name was T.A. Duke. We called him Brother Buck. He was my pastor at Fairfield Highlands. He's one of the most godly men I've ever known. He had memorized so much scripture that he didn't take a Bible to the pulpit. I mean, just wow kind of guy. A, a monster of a man. He, he was probably about 6'6". Six, six, I mean, had hands the size of, I mean, he, he would just almost crush you when he would shake your hand. Just a big guy, but the most humble man I've ever known. I was his youth pastor, so God bless him. But um, he took me to Montana on a mission trip one time. Brother Buck and I preached two revivals in Kalispell, Montana, in an old saloon that had been transformed into a church. So much so you walked in and the mirrored glass where all the bottles were kept was still up. And we baptized people at a horse trough afterwards. But on that trip, Brother Buck and I stayed in a house together in the hills of Montana there. And about halfway through the trip, I woke up one morning and could not find my shoes, my preaching shoes. And I was panting my where did I put my shoes? And I walked out in the hallway to find that my shoes were there polished. Brother Buck polished my shoes the night before and didn't tell me. Now, it may have just meant that I had dirty shoes and he was kind of embarrassed to be seen with me. But I think it probably meant that this was a man who was teaching me a lesson. And that is to serve those around you. My pastor served me well. Another influential man in my life who taught me about humility was a guy by the name of Andrew Westmoreland, president of Sanford University during, for the past several years, who's now president emeritus. I'll never forget, Andy and I were finishing up an alumni event down in Mobile after at state convention. And everybody had gone, and it was, uh, it was left to me to kind of clean up everything, because it was kind of my event. My wife, at the same time as that, was in the hospital and had been placed in the hospital that night before, and I had to get out of there as fast as I could. I'll never forget Andy looking at me, and he says, I want you to get in that car, and I want you to go home and be with Lori. He said, I got this. And I remember walking out, of the, walking out of First Baptist Church Fairhope, looking, turn around, and seeing the president of Sanford University putting garbage into a garbage sack off tables. And I thought, you know what? That's humility. That's meekness personified. The greatest example, of course, of humility is Jesus himself. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, listen to what Jesus says about himself. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Have y'all read uh, Dane Orton's book, Gentle and Lowly? Okay, you need to do that. You need to write that down. You need to go read it. Okay? Jesus personified humility. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul really talks about that when he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God did not consider it robbery to be found equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him, giving him the name which is above all names in the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You've heard the scripture. But the thing I love there is that Paul is speaking here really of the humility of Jesus, that he made himself of no reputation, he says in verse 7. The New Living Translation says that he gave up his divine privileges. That doesn't mean that he stopped being God. It just means that he did not use the God card. For his own benefit, but rather he came as in likeness of man, as a servant to man. And thank God he did. He was a leader personified and he modeled that. And Paul says, that's how you ought to be. Have that mindset as a leader. We, as we lead, are, we are like Jesus and we're never more like him than when we lead. In John chapter 13, Jesus takes his disciples on the night of his eventual betrayal and enjoys that one last Passover with them, and in the process gives them a lesson on humility that we will never forget. As he girds himself with a loincloth, takes a bowl, and washes his disciples' feet, taking on, personifying the lowest form of a servant in his day. Wow. And then he looks at his disciples and says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The greatest challenge for you is not to overcome the external challenges that you face. The greatest challenge for you as one who serves is to overcome the internal challenges that you face. And the greatest internal challenge you're going to face comes from the devil himself, and he's been good at it from the very beginning of time, and that is to tell you that you ought to be prideful. Pride was the very downfall of man, and he's still at it today. Never, ever take on that personification. You will never make the impact God's intends for you if it First, you don't place a cross on your back and a servant towel in your hand. Here's a group discussion. I wanted you to take two minutes here at your tables. You ready? It's on your, on your outline. Who is the most humble person you've ever known? And how did their servant heart impact your life? Leadership is birthed from humility. I want you to discuss that question. All right, I think we've had some good discussion here, right? So, so let me ask you this. You kind of heard some other people's perspective across the table. Um, I'm just kind of eavesdropping a little bit on some of these tables up here, but it's, it was amazing to me, and I knew this was going to happen, that when you began talking about those people, you, it really kind of brought you a tender heart, didn't it, to talk about them? Like that, like it encouraged you to share how impressionable their servant heart has been towards you. Well, that ought to tell you something. How many of you have been personally encouraged by someone that you felt was a humble person? Isn't it contagious? It truly is contagious. Remember those examples. Emulate them.
And really the goal is for the next time somebody comes here and asks that question, they give your name. Someone gives your name at the table. Leadership is couched in humility. Couched in humility. But secondly, I want you to notice effective leaders express a biblical compassion. A biblical compassion. So compassion, a biblical compassion is a natural outflow of humility, I think. In other words, the heart of humility will naturally lead to an expression of compassion for those around us. As you lead in whatever area you are serving, you need to make sure that you're showing compassion for those around you. Well, just as in the first point, we know that Jesus is our model here. Have you ever thought about the fact that God is a compassionate God? He's not some God who's in heaven throwing lightning bolts at bad people. Right? I mean, even though, frankly, I would like for him to do that from time to time. That's not his persona. That's not who he, who he is. And if you want to know how compassionate God is, all you've got to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is the Father you know, in flesh. And Jesus was compassionate. And we ought to emulate and express that same compassion through our service and humility to others. In Christ and the Gospels, we see the personification of grace and mercy and pity and compassion that God has toward sinful people. And through the life of Christ, we see the compassion of God on full display. Let me give you an example of that. Matthew 9 36 through 38 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they, they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful. Labors are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out labors into the harvest. In Matthew 14, 14, it says of Jesus, And when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and healed the sick. In Matthew 15, we see him showing compassion for a hungry multitude. And in Luke 7, 13, it says that when Jesus saw the grief of the widow of Nain over the death of her son, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep, for I will raise your son to life. In those passages that we read here, we see Jesus moved uniquely and very powerfully. And to really understand how uniquely and how powerfully he was moved, we really do have to kind of understand the... Um, the, the foundational meaning of the word compassion. That word compassion comes from the word splanksa in the Greek language. And frankly, uh, that's kind of an uncomfortable word in the Greek language. Because the word means innards. It'd be like me using the word guts. Like that's not an attractive word. It, it's the very bowels of a person. So what that really tells us is that when it says that Jesus was compassionate toward these people, 
it means that down to his very guts and his inward being, like he was moved in such a way to serve them. His compassion moved him towards service in these scriptures. Like when you hear terms like, you know, that person has guts. You've heard that, right? I mean, it's that same kind of idea. You know, there's something deep within that person that, that leads them to do extraordinary things. They got guts. Well, when you say Jesus had guts, what it means is Jesus was moved to compassion to serve people in ways nobody else ever has. Like that's who he really was. In those passages, he is so moved with compassion here toward people that it, it literally at times brings him to tears. We see that, for example, in John 11 at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus is moved with such compassion for those around him that literally he cries over it. Like, it's, it's that inwardly moved. And in Matthew uh, or in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus is approaching Jerusalem on, the, uh, on Palm Sunday, it says that he wept over the city. He had compassion over an entire city to the point that he wept over it. And as leaders, I'm asking you to serve with that type of compassion. In other words, we ought to be able to say, you know, those... Those servants, those servant leaders at Liberty, they got guts. They got guts. And because they got guts, it moves them to serve in a way that's so unique. Here's what I know. We have a hurting world out here. Hurting like I've never seen it before. Divided. Angry. Bitter. There are people who are visiting your church every Sunday who are dragging themselves in there deeply depressed, hurt, grieving. Maybe you don't even know it. Maybe their face doesn't show up. Maybe they put on their Sunday face. You know what I mean? Their Sunday face. But inwardly, they're, they're dying. They need to seek compassion from you because Jesus calls us to that. And as you serve them, it has to come from that compassion to say, I got guts. I moved deeply to serve those around me. Effective servant leaders are humble people who are moved with a Christ-like compassion for the people that they serve every single Sunday. Group discussion. In your area of service, what are some practical ways that you can show biblical compassion to someone this week in your area of service? How can you really just kind of make that happen? How can you personify compassion to the people that you serve this week? Go. Okay, so I want to kind of hear some of the responses. So what are some things, uh, just kind of just shout it out, what are some things you heard at your table and how you can show biblical compassion in your area of service? Okay, help with seniors, is that what I heard? Okay. 
Yeah. Good. I love that. Listening. What's more compassionate than actually listening? That's huge. What else? Anything else? Being intentional. Yeah. What now? That is huge. I love that you're doing that. That is wonderful. Are you a part of that? Awesome. Man. What an opportunity to show compassion. That is great. I love that ministry. Anybody else? That is a great, great point. Yeah. Like if you complain about the pickles being left off your hamburger, and then they come, then, it, yeah, I get what you're saying. That's like, that's, that's the pickle lady that, yeah. Yeah, and so, oh, the chicken salad people. Y'all, yeah, yeah. It's my fault. I should have grabbed the chicken salad before, you know, y'all did. So that would have been so that's your point here is well taken. So this leads in naturally to the next, the next point of this as far as our leadership, and that is that effective leaders extend a godly influence. Extend a godly influence. Now, this is really big because I want to introduce you to kind of a concentric circle of influence level that I really want you to think through. I think it's safe to say that your staff feels this way. Well, I know they do because I've talked to them. You can't come to church and serve if you're not first serving the people in your own home. So dads, if you come here and you serve well, but yet your family has not been served by you that week. Things are out of order. So we're gifted to serve and we're called to serve to our family. And that's hard because I don't know about you, my kids drive me nuts. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's hard. It's real hard. Like, it's difficult for me to, you know, wash the glass that my son drank out of when I picked his underwear out of the floor that day. You know what I mean? Like that's, and he doesn't really appreciate it very much, frankly. You know, it's like, it's like, but yeah, I'm called to serve the people in my home. Why? Well, because I want to be a godly witness to them. You know, it's really is my hope that, that my, my kids, like if you were to ask my kids today, who's the most humble servant that you know, that they will be able to name me. Like, I really want that to be a part. Like, I want them to remember me as a servant and to know me as a servant. So you have to start at home, but not only at home, but also, in, to your point, in the community that you serve, to serve the people in your community. Though there are people, I'm sure, here in this community that need that type of service, and I know your church is doing community service, and 
in talking to Brother Tim, y'all are about to really exponentially grow even that area of your church, to intentionally, more intentionally go out into your community than ever before. So the, there are areas of influence that go well beyond the church, right? I mean, this, this is not just simply kind of this ecclesial focus. This is what we would call extra-ecclesial. This is outside of the church, starting at home, in your community. All that is important that we extend a godly influence. I've always loved D.L. Moody's quote. He says, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible and 99 will read the Christian. So if we really want to be disciple makers, we have to be servants. We have to show biblical compassion. But we have to be intentional. Somebody said the word intentional earlier, and I love that. I'm also on staff at the Station Church. We're a Birmingham Metro Association church. We're off exit 6, 459, Morgan Road exit, where Hoover and Bessemer come together. I'm disciple-making pastor. Like, that's my role at part-time. I'm also interim pastor at Calvary Tuscaloosa. I'm, I'm weird. I do a lot of things. It's very confusing. I'm a very conflicted person. But, but, but part of my role there at the station church is that I'm equipping people to be disciple-makers. And the thing, my, my people are so sick and tired at the state church of hearing me say the same thing. Because I use the word intentional all the time. No one trips, tr- just kind of trips into disciple making. Like it doesn't happen by chance. It's intentional, and it's intentional when you extend godly influence. But I've never met a disciple maker that, 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 whose life was not couched in humility and expressed through compassion. So all this just kind of comes together and makes a great servant. But you're extending godly influence. So how do you do what I said in the message earlier in John 139? Jesus' first invitation to his disciples was come and see. How do you effectively offer that invitation, come and see? Extending that type of godly influence. What all does that look like? Well, you start by leveraging the levels of influence you have for the glory of God. Let's talk about those levels of influence we, did, we, we were supposed to have slides, but something happened to the slides. I don't know what happened. They like Satan just vanished them out there somewhere in cyber world. But anyway, you've got it on your outline there. Um, level one, immediate relationships. Your spouse, your parents, your children, your siblings, your closest friends. Lead at home first. So start showing compassion and influence those closest to you for the glory of God. Dads, disciple your children. Moms, disciple your children. Extend godly influence to them. Extend godly influence even to um, people that are really hard to extend godly influence to. Can I tell you this too? Like the first level is probably the hardest because you know those people well. And chances are they get on your nerves a lot more than people and even in your community do. So sometimes we bypass the first level of leadership influence because, for what, I don't know why, like for whatever reason, you just, you just maybe make an assumption, oh, well, they live with me. You know, of course they know, or they see, or they, you know, like we just kind of assume that. But you can't bypass the first level. Level two is your interconnected relationships co-workers, church friends, neighbors, those types of people. And then that third level of co-centric influence is what I call infrequent relationships, acquaintances, 
your auto mechanic, you know, your dentist, your old classmates that you run into. Man, I ain't seen you in a long time. Yeah, you've lost a lot of hair. You know, those types of people that you run into. Extended family, like that second cousin twice removed that you really don't know their name, that you just get a Christmas card from them every year. Those types of folks. I mean, there's kind of infrequent relationships. But you know what? You've got to extend godly influence to them too. Ultimately, here's the thing. Everyone you meet ought to love Jesus more because they met you. Everyone. Because your life's couched in humility and expressed in, com- in godly compassion. And you're leveraging influence through those things into everyone that you meet. So here's the thing. Let's think about these concentric circles of influence if you're making more of a spiritual influence on your level three relationships than your level one relationship, that's kind of a problem. Like if your dentist knows you love Jesus more than your son, we got an issue. If you're serving, you know, go out of your way to serve your mail carrier more than your spouse, we got an issue. You can't get those out of order. They're concentric for a reason. Your impact should start first in the most immediate relationships, expanding outward. No one who walks up to an apple tree climbs to the top of the tree for an apple. Rather, they pick the one within reach. That's the way influence, godly influence ought to work. Pick the fruits closest to you. Influence those in your immediate impact first. Think of your life as a pebble. Thrown into a pond, it begins with a deep impact, creating an expanding circle. That's the goal. You're created for maximum gospel impact. Begin today intentionally investing in the lives of those in your level one circle of influence. Watch as your impact spreads through the investments that you're making in those closest to you. If you will disciple those closest to you, I promise you, things will naturally expand. You'll be a great leader if you'll do that. Fourth, fourth, effective leaders experience spiritual growth. Again, this is so important. One of the things that I have seen consistently throughout my ministry is leader burnout. I see it, I see it with a lot of pastors, by the way, right now. In my role, I talk to a lot of pastors, a lot. I cannot tell you how many times I get calls throughout the week from a pastor that's ready to throw the towel in. Tim gets the same calls, I'm sure. It's just kind of a thing. But leadership burnout within churches is also a thing. Well, why is it a thing? Well, there's a host of reasons for that, but I think the main thing is that leaders burn out when they continually give out cups of cold water without replenishing the spring of life within them. I found myself doing that many days as a pastor. Like, you know, you... You've done, you've done three marriage counselings that week. You've, you've prepared, you know, three sermons. You've preached two funerals. You've, I mean, man, at the end of the week, like the well's dry. You know, like I've been giving water out all week. I got nothing left for me now. And that leads to burnout. What you've got to do as a leader in your church, as a servant leader, it's expected that you're going to give out cups of cold water in Jesus' name, whatever that looks like. That's expected. It ought to happen. If it's not happening, we got an issue. But you've got to make sure you're continually replenishing the source. And the source is Jesus. 
He is the living water. He, he, is, he is the one that's going to replenish your soul, commit yourself to a lifestyle of spiritual growth. You've got to be experiencing spiritual growth if you're a servant leader. You've got you to have a plan for that. You, spiritual growth didn't, doesn't just happen accidentally. Like no one ever like stumbles into spiritual growth, right? It's always intentional. It always happens because there's a plan there. When I was pastor of Valley Creek Baptist Church in Hueytown, I had a couple that uh, I led the husband to Christ, baptized him. The family began coming, and his wife, Jennifer, was so impressive to me because, like, she was a, I mean, I'm talking about a volunteering maniac. I mean, like, it was amazing. And, and she was, like, good at it. Like, man, we have scored big here to get this family in. They're all serving. But after about a year and a half or so, I began to notice that Jennifer began to be a little bit moody to the point that other leaders in her area were coming to me going, man, well, what I did to her, she flew all over me today. I pulled her aside. I said, hey, come here, let's talk. I said, what's going on? And she just began to cry. She said, she said, Pastor, I'm just tired. I'm weary. I'm burnt out. I'm done. And so immediately I said, yeah, you are. So why don't you take some time off? And so for about six months to almost nine months, I think, if I remember correctly, she did nothing except come to church on Sunday mornings and, and be fed. Like, I kind of put her in leadership quarantine for a while to be, you know, to, to, to get better. And to this day, when she sees me, she thanks me for that. Well, it was my fault in the first place because I gave her too much to do. That was on me. I shouldn't have done that. The reality was I should have had someone disciple her before I threw her in a bunch of leadership positions. But she was so gung-ho. And sometimes you have those people like that, right? They just want their hand in everything. And that may be encouraging me. Actually, it ought to be a warning sign to you. Maybe that's not the best thing. Maybe you might say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's hold off on that. Don't do three things. Do one thing great, not three things in the average, you know? But she just burned out. By the way, today she's, she, she's the children's director at, the church, at that church. So everything ended well. But that taught me a lesson. It made me really step back as a pastor and go, okay, well, if she's experiencing that, I bet other people are experiencing that. I need to be really mindful that we're not overworking our servant leaders. To effectively walk with Jesus and to lead, you must focus on being more with him than you're focusing on doing things for him. The be must be in front of the do. And if the do is in front of the being, you're going to burn out. Big time. Big time. Now, that may seem like a preposterous statement, but the reality is that many people fail to accomplish God's plan because they've forsaken their daily walks with Christ. There are folks in our churches that are in this kind of, this death march of doing like they, their spiritual life's become like this laborious task of check marks where they like, oh, I got to go do, 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 do. 
And then I remember the scene of Mary and Martha where Jesus is there. And <laughs> you know this story. Like Mary's just worshiping, Martha's serving, and she's mad. And she's like, you need to get that woman to do something. And Jesus says, actually, she's chosen the better part. What was she doing? You know what she was doing? She's spending time with Jesus. That's what she was doing. We have got too many Marthas in our church and not enough Marys. We just want to do, do, do. Sometimes you just need to be. Be with him. Put some water in your well so that you can effectively give it out to others. True joy, spiritual growth, and sustained faith is never based on what you have done for Jesus. Rather, it is grounded in a relationship with Christ and what he has done for you. Being with him, learning of him, placing your spiritual roots into what he has done for you will catapult you into greater servanthood, greater leadership for him. This is really big. Don't miss this. And I'm going to close right here, and then I'm going to let you all go. The spiritual journey is not a sprint. It is not a laborious list of tasks. In its simplest form, it is a beautiful walk with Jesus. When Christ saves you, he doesn't say, I've saved you, now go do something. He says, I've saved you. Come and be with me. It's important we recognize that. Being a follower of Christ is a journey that too many Christians fall out of. And they sit as abandoned cars on the side of a lonely road. One, at one point, they were trucking down the road filled with the fuel of servanthood. And now they sit in this abandoned car because they burned out. Don't let that be you. Lead out of the overflow of your spiritual walk with Christ. Don't stop taking daily walks with Jesus. <laughs> let him fill your life with joy and then give it away. Give it away. Whatever that looks like, whether it means ministering to widows or holding a baby or shaking a hand on a Sunday morning, or like I said, putting batteries into a, a battery pack, whatever that looks like. Fill your life with Christ, and the rest will come out of the overflow of that. So here's the last discussion question before we leave. Has there ever been a time in your service to Christ that you lost the joy of serving? Why did that happen? How can you prevent it from happening again? That's going to take some vulnerability, but somebody may need to hear your story, all right? Discuss that for a few minutes. Folks, I'm about to turn it back over to Matt, but let me just say this as we close. That's good discussion, by the way. I know it needs to keep going, but it's almost 2 o'clock. Leadership is always about humility. It is always about expression, the compassion of Christ. It is always about extending godly influence on people around you. And it has also to be birthed out of your own spiritual walk. Don't neglect your own soul. If you do, you're not going to last. All right? God bless you. It's been a joy to be with you today. I'm so grateful.
for the opportunity to be here at Liberty. Brother Tim, thank you again for inviting me. Thank you, Kevin, for the words of encouragement as well as the words of challenge. Um, so here's the, the final word. Uh, there are shirts. We have swag for you. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, and we want you to be sure to grab a shirt and a lanyard on your way out. Uh, they're labeled by sizes you choose. All right? Uh, so let's pray, and then we will be dismissed. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege that we've had today to be in your house for the express purpose of being challenged by the truth of your word. Now, Father, I pray that as we walk out these doors into this week that you've created, I pray that you'll help each of us to be intentional, to walk on purpose through the lens of your word and allow your word to impact our thoughts, which will then impact our actions and our attitudes. Thank you for being a God that's worthy of our worship, worthy of our trust, worthy of our honor. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thanks for being here.